May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Maybe you have had this experience, standing at the south rim of the Grand Canyon, looking out at the vastness that is the Grand Canyon, how wide and how deep and how it stretches on and on. And as you look out over the vastness of the Grand Canyon, it's easy to start to feel a little bit small in it all. Maybe a sense of awe, a feeling of awe comes over you. Or maybe it's this for you. Back in 1994, the conference invited me to attend an 11-day preaching academy in Chicago. I accepted the invitation because I figured they'd heard my sermons and knew I needed the help. So I went. The academy was held in a convent. So not only were the classes in the convent, but we stayed there in the convent. I remember the room to which I was assigned. I could stand right dead in the middle of the room and stretch out both arms and touch two walls. And then I could turn like this and touch two more walls. It was cozy, intimate space. Well, one night, after I already kind of returned to my room, a thunderstorm rolled in. And this wasn't the typical kind of thunderstorm, you know, where you see the flash of lightning and then you count as you wait for the thunder. The lightning and the thunder, they were instantaneous, right on top of us. And what I was struck with was just the volume of the claps and the power of it all. These claps of of lightning, of thunder, were so loud that you couldn't hear anything else. And so powerful that they shook the walls of the convent. Shook me in my room. And one clap gave way to another, gave way to another. So the walls, they just kept shaking. And my body just was continued to be shaken by it. And I was in this itty-bitty little room. And there was no place to hide. There was no place to escape. And just in those moments, feel a bit powerless in the face of such awesome power. Can feel so powerless. A sense of awe. Now, a little side note. After the storm had passed, about a half hour later, when I kind of had stopped shaking, I thought to myself, I wonder if God was mad because the Methodists were in a convent or if God was mad at the nuns because they let Methodists in. I never figured that out. Maybe for you, maybe it's for you, it's, it's this. I was blessed to be present at the birth of four of our children. I watched them take their first breath. And seeing our children take their first breath it's miraculous. I mean, it's just miraculous. It fills you with this sense of awe and of wonder. Because it's, it's not like Jerry and I know how to make something alive. I mean, only God can make life, can bring life. We're just created in such a way that we get to participate with God in this miraculous thing. And it just fills you with a sense of awe, with a sense of wonder this gift of life. Awe 
is a human experience. It's not something we often think to try to define. It's just something that we know we can feel. But if I were going to take a, a long shot at defining it, I would say it has something to do with being pleasantly insignificant. Pleasantly insignificant. You know, that in the scope of creation, of everything that God has created, that we are here in this moment. And in the scope of human time and of history, in the millions of years, we occupy this moment. And it's something that makes us can feel pretty small as we consider the vastness of it all. A little insignificant. And yet, it's pleasant because we're here. We're a part of it. We can see it and feel it and touch it. We're a part of it. Now, awe is something that anybody can experience. It's not something that's uniquely Christian. You can stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and feel a sense of awe. You can feel a sense of awe in the face of a power that is beyond your ability to comprehend. You can feel a sense of awe at the birth of a child. But it's when we recognize that behind all of that, or maybe I should say in the midst of all of that, in the midst of creation and of this power and of life itself, in the midst of it, there's a God. It's when we recognize that, that our awe grows deeper and deeper and more profound. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created everything, everything. That before God created everything, there was nothing but God. Nothing. And out of nothingness, God created something. Now, I can create things. I can get out my tools, and I can get out some lumber, and I can make a table. I can do that. With the help of my father-in-law, Jim, I can do that. I can make something out of something. But to make something out of nothing... My mind cannot even begin to comprehend that. That something could come from nothing. And if that isn't awe-inspiring enough, God does it simply by speaking a word. Speaking a word. Genesis 1 lets us know that God is holy. The word holy literally means different. That God is different from us, and, and God is different from us. God is God, and we're not it. God is holy. And with such power that it fills us with a sense of awe. The Bible is full of stories of people encountering something of the power, the majesty, the very presence of God. Moses leads the Israelite people through the parted Red Sea, only for the Red Sea to then crash upon their enemies as the Israelites stood in awe and wonder, only able to sing praise. Isaiah enters into the temple of God when the walls begin to shake and the room fills with smoke and these strange creatures come flying out singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. 
around the very throne of Almighty God. And all that Isaiah can do is fall to his knees and say, woe is me, I don't belong here. The sins of awe and of wonder. The shepherds tending their flock by night when suddenly the heavens open up and they see a multitude a multitude of angels singing glory and praise to Almighty God. And all they can do is run and to see this thing that has happened filled with the sense of awe, the sense of wonder. And make no mistake about this because this is what the experience of awe does. You can bet every night after that, they're looking up at the night sky and they're remembering. It just reorients our lives. It changes everything for us that the disciples, having watched as Jesus' body was laid in the tomb, in despair, three days later, he's resurrected. And when they see the resurrected Christ, all they can do is fall to their knees to worship him, the sense of awe and of wonder. Now, in this series of sermons, we're talking about what it means to live a fulfilled life. And we've talked about the importance of gratitude when it comes to living a fulfilled life. We've talked about the importance of being mindful, of taking those moments to, to kind of separate ourselves from all the distractions and to be present in order to listen to what God has to say, how important that is for a fulfilled life. Today, we're adding to that awe, how important this sense of awe is to fulfillment in our lives. And here's the thing with awe. It's connected to gratitude, and it's connected to mindfulness. One leads to another. We practice a discipline of gratitude, giving thanks to God, and as we do, we increasingly become aware of how God's at work in our midst, and that leads us to a sense of awe and of wonder. We take time to be mindful, to focus, to, to try to make ourselves available to really hear a word from God, and when we do, it leads us to a sense of awe and to wonder, and we want more, and we want more of it. Awe, gratitude, mindfulness. This is the stuff that's all woven together in our spiritual life. It leads to a fulfilled life. But now, God has done way more for us than we've taken time to talk about. Way more. And I want to talk about some more things that God has done for us. And so we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to listen to Scripture. So, Scott, will you read for us? Today's Scripture begins with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, 
he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This has been the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Scott. Many of you already know this about me, but I love looking up at the night sky, especially up in the mountains outside of Zion National Park. I love looking up at the night sky. Back in the summer, I preached a sermon. I showed you this picture, so we're going to put it up there again. This is a photo of the Milky Way uh, up by our property in Zion. It was a new moon, so there was no light from the moon that night. And up at 7,000 feet elevation and no city lights around, it's just dark. And on this particular night, the Milky Way was particularly brilliant. And I love looking up at this, the night sky, in part because it's just so beautiful, but also because it's just so vast and humbling. As I look out at the night sky and realize that there are trillions of stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way. And beyond our galaxy are millions of other galaxies. Beyond my ability to even begin to comprehend the space and the, the vastness of it all and how it is that our universe continues to expand new stars being born creation itself continuing it just fills me with a sense of awe that I get to look up at that and to see that me on this little planet we call home which in comparison to the vastness of creation is but a speck, is but a speck orbiting around our sun, floating through space. It's but a speck. And then there's me on this speck. I'm like a speck on a speck. And when I consider the millions of years of history I occupy a speck of a moment. I'm a speck on a speck, occupying a speck of a moment, looking into the vastness of what God has created, and it just fills me with a sense of awe that God, who created all of this, would have any interest at all in this little speck of me. But in Psalm 8, remember we hear, I look at the stars, the sun and the moon. Who, who am I that God is mindful of me? But God is. God knows me. The creator of all of that is. God knows me. And if that weren't enough to fill me with a sense of awe, 
God also wants to be known by me. How could that be? How could that be? That the creator of creation, as vast, as big as it is, and as long as it's been in existence, how could it be that the creator who could do that would want to be known by me? And yet God does. In Genesis chapter 1, we hear that God is holy, God is different, and we get that, we get that. But in Genesis chapter 2, we hear that the God who is holy, who created everything, draws near to us, wants to be involved in our lives, breathes the very breath of life into us, breathes life into us. So close is God. I start adding up the gifts, the gift of life that I've received, the gift of being known by God, the gift of knowing God, gift upon gift upon gift. Of course, what we make of the gifts is a whole other matter. And Genesis chapter 3 tells us that we who have received so many gifts mess up the gifts. We have our moments when we mess up the gifts, when we mess up our lives, when we mess up our relationships. We can bring brokenness into our lives. We can bring brokenness into our relationships. It's like this little speck of a life that I am. I want to establish myself somehow separate from God, you know, so that I can be autonomous, so that I can have a sense of control over my life and live it the way I want to live it. And so we push God away. We build our little towers on which we stand in order to, to say, look at me. I can make it on my own. I can do it my way. We build our little towers on which we stand. We who are but a speck on a speck occupying a moment of time. Look at how great I am. Really. And any sense of awe fades away. And is replaced with things like pride and greed. And it grieves God's heart. It grieves God's heart. What would ever make us think that we would do better being on our own than being connected to the very one who created everything? What would ever make us think that? But we do, and it grieves God's heart. And so out of that grief, God acts. God, who is so big, who is so powerful, who could simply speak, and the creation as big and as wide and as long as it is, came into existence, this God chooses to be humbled. To be born into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. 
in order to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The giver of life becomes the gift. Think about that for a minute. The giver of life becomes the gift of healing and of newness of life. The giver of life becomes the gift. Why? Why would God do that? You know, God who created, why would God do that? First John tells us why. First John tells us it's because of love. God is love. Now we can think of a lot of words to describe God. We can describe God with words like all-powerful, majestic, all-knowing, just. We can get a long list of words to describe God, but First John wants us to know that at the top of that list we ought to have the word love because God is love. And it's out of that love that God acts. This is the mystery of the incarnation. Out of love, God asks. Philippians is talking about it. How Jesus, remember in John we hear he's the word of God through whom everything was created, the very word of God, Jesus, does not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbles himself to be born into this world and to be obedient even unto death. Think about those words. Think about those words. Last week, I challenged you to take 15 minutes each day and to practice some mindfulness, to, to kind of separate yourself from all the distractions of the busyness of the day in order to be present and just to attend to listening to God's word or to praying. Today, I want to challenge you to do this again for another seven days. 15 minutes each day, but for the next seven days to spend time being mindful of Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the words that were just read, those words specifically. Spend some time just really pondering what those words mean to your life, what God is saying to you through those words. To be mindful, it requires us to set aside all the distractions of the day. Remember, we talked about this last week. That can be difficult. Our minds can be popping with all kinds of things. And so we take a moment maybe to breathe, to count our breaths, each breath only possible because God breathed into us. We breathe and we focus our attention on how God breathed into us so we can breathe. And then, and then we feel ourselves in this space, in this moment, kind of centering ourselves so that we're prepared to just listen to a word. And then we read the scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and we listen to it, asking, what are you saying to me, O oh God? What are you saying to me? And then when your mind starts popping like a popcorn popper, we talked about this last week, and every 15 seconds my mind goes off to something else. As soon as I start thinking about something else, I pray about that. I give it over to God. I say, God, you take care of that. Help me to focus so I can hear what you have to say. 
And the next time it happens, I give that over to God so I can focus. God, help me to hear what you have to say until I'm finally settled in and I just listen. Each day, focus on a phrase from that text. Maybe the phrase is Jesus not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. Maybe the phrase is being obedient unto death. Maybe the phrase is, have the same mind that is in Christ. Maybe the word is humility. But spend a few moments thinking about a few words, listening to what they say, what they mean to your life. As we do this for seven days, we start to carve some new, new neural pathways in our brain. Remember we talked about that last week, too. We carve some new neural pathways in our brain which starts to reorient our lives. We begin to see our life a little differently. We begin to see the world in which we live a little differently. And we begin to see the presence of God in the midst of it all a little more. It reorients our lives and helps us to begin to recognize God, who breathed life into us, and that fills with us with a sense of awe, of wonder. And out of that awe and wonder, all we can do is give thanks to Almighty God, who in a moment of time, we're connected to. In a moment of time that is our life, we are connected to, but not only in this moment of time, but for all of eternity. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.